Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Templey. sexual nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what i saw with my own two eyes if you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And real quick, before we get started, the I want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to vote on the People's Choice Podcast Awards we made the finalists, or I made the finalists in all four categories that y'all voted in, which is one Adam Curry's Best Podcast of the Year Award. And y'all, that's out of over, what, two million podcasts now they have out there. And two is Best Male Host of the Podcast. And three is Best True Crime Podcast. And four is Storytelling and Drama. So it's huge. Now it's up to the people. They take a cross-section of everybody that voted, and they'll email you and ask you, would you like to be a judge for the finalists, right? And so, y'all, if you uh, – lifers, check your emails. I know a lot of you messaged me already that you did get the email and that y'all voted. And if you do it, if you do do it and um, take the time to vote again – it, please vote for me in those categories. Again, we made the finalists in, which is a huge accomplishment up against the biggest shows in the world. And I love you and appreciate each and every one of you. But also, if you can take the time to vote, make sure to vote for my buddy Jim Chapman, the local leaders podcast out of Livingston Parish. He's awesome. Uh, it's the only show that I'm a patron member of. And he made it the finalist for in the business category. So anyway, thank you all for voting it. It's a huge, huge accomplishment. And the live awards ceremony will be on September the 30th, which is National Podcast Day. So that being said, let's get started because people don't like when I talk too much before the story, right? So here we go. First of all, let me tell you what happened. 
no good deed goes unpunished. And I bought, upgraded all my microphone equipment and a new amplifier and all this stuff. And I was upstairs in my studio and I used it for the first time tonight. And we also got a new camera, y'all, which I don't have in yet. So I'm going to start videotaping each episode when I'm recording and putting it up on YouTube. But that's another story. So anyway, we're always upgrading and trying to improve. So I got the best in the world. I got the same mic that Joe Rogan uses and this amplifier thing, which I never had one before, but all this stuff. And I go up there and I knock out two hours of recording and I get done and take my chip out and bring it down and put it in the computer and I don't have a fucking thing. So I just wasted two hours of my life, which you know, it's happened to me in the past when I was a rook at a podcast. I think three or four times I've probably recorded and either I forgot to put the chip in or I had my volume turned all the way down or one time something wasn't plugged in, right? And so I learned, constantly learning, because I didn't know a damn thing about podcasts when we started, but constantly learning, constantly trying to prove. But so it finally bumped up to to the uh best microphone, et cetera, and it was an absolute shit show. I have nothing recorded. So now I found out what the problem was was the new amplifier thing, and now I, I want to apologize for sound. I'm not in the studio. I'm sitting in my living room where I had to take everything apart and dissect it. But that being said, it was the amplifier was the problem, so you're at least getting to hear this new microphone. I don't know what it's going to sound like, if it's going to be any better or not. Probably will, hopefully. But uh, So just bear with me on that. So I had this big, long, new, horrible, horrible series that I recorded two hours on earlier, and it's going to be a big one. It's, it's just a f- horrific story. But now I don't feel like doing it, right? So... You know, and I'm thinking, well, you know what? Maybe I'll just tell an old Woody story and uh, something to lighten the mood a little bit and give you all something to laugh about. So that's what I'm going to do. Let's take it back. Well, you know what? Before I do that, I'm going to play I want to play you a clip of something, and this is going to set up this episode. And again, y'all, I apologize about the audio. I'm not in the studio. Who knows what kind of echoes and all that Toby stuff that you're getting. Um, but this was sent to me. This weekend by Maddie Reed. She's a lifer. And I laughed so hard when I heard it or when, it, when I watched the video. But you got to listen to this and then it's going to set up. It will set up my story that I'm about to tell. Actually, this, Maddie, this story reminded me of a story, a funny story that I wanted to tell, which I was going to put up for Patreon, but I'll, I'll do something else. So listen to this, y'all. It's funny, funny. A belligerent passenger causing sheer chaos in the air. And it got so bad that flight attendants had to duct tape the man to his seat. Ever since masks were required on airplanes, flight attendants say that their work has become downright dangerous. Now, understand something. I'm a flight attendant. That means I attend the flights. Sometimes our job has us attending to crazy people. If you push us too far, you're going to have to attend this ass whooping. You see, because on this particular flight, I'm sitting in the jump seat and I'm just looking at him act a damn fool. He's spitting and cussing and going crazy. I say, that's enough. I got up and I walked over there. And by the way, this man smelled like a pack of Marlboro cigarettes, uh, four 
shots of Everclear alcohol and regret. So I know something's about to go down. At this point, he touched all over my co-worker's breast. And where he f***ed up at is when he touched my titties. Because I don't play that. So what I did is I took out the duct tape. I said, he got scared, start stuttering, say, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. I said, yeah, we about to mummify your ass now, boy. So we wrapped him up. Better than any Christmas present you ever see. He won't be coming on no more Frontier flights at all. <laughs> oh my all right. So, y'all, uh, the lifer sent that to me, prefaced it with, before I watched it, and she prefaced it with, this would be you if you were a flight attendant, right? And I laughed really hard like everybody else, and I started thinking, shit, I... I have a similar story from way back in the day. All right, so we'll we'll kick it back to it must have been like I don't know two thousand one or two thousand two, something like that. I was at the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, and I, I was on uniform patrol at the time, probably getting ready to transition into detectives. And I was already doing some narcotics work uh, on the street and stuff on my days off and stuff like that, but. I was also a member of the special response team, which is just the politically correct way of saying SWAT. That's what they used to call it, special weapons and tactics, and now they call it special response team. So talk about that for a minute. Jason R. was actually the founder and the head of the special response team for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. At the time, we were one of the only agencies in the whole area that had their own SWAT team or SRT team. But it was in infancy stages, and our sheriff was Willie Grays, and he loved to use, they called us the men in black. In certain neighborhoods, they called us the men in black, right? They knew when we rolled out, sugar's fixing to turn the ship for somebody, right? So, but we had the best training and the best equipment, and Willie made sure of that. Now, to get on the special response team, you had to be several things. You had to have at least, a, uh, I think it was at least two years at the time in uniform patrol. Then you had to be really physically fit, and you had to be able to shoot like Annie Oakley, okay? But you just didn't sign up and say, hey, I want to be on the SRT team, you know, uh, you can I sign me up? I got my time in and I'm physically fit and I can shoot okay. No, you had to go through a selection process. I mean, this is the creme de la creme. I'll tell you this, SRT or SWAT, that's who cops call when they get scared. Think about that. You know, regular people call 911 to send out the regular cops. When the regular cops go out and the sugar turns to shit, they call SWAT or SRT, okay? So it's a lengthy process. And let me tell you something, the application process and the interviewing, and, and you know, at the time, I think it was, uh, I interviewed before Jason Ard, Alden Thomasy, I think Brian Paul Smith, and uh, uh, Ben Smith, you know, and Ben Smith, he was really dear friend of mine and he's deceased, he got killed Oh, Lord, you can probably hear my dogs outside. He got killed in a, in a motorcycle crash. Rest in, rest in peace, buddy. But Ben was a hell of a cop, and he could shoot like nobody's business. And at the time of his death, 
he was actually over the training range and the firing range and all that for the sheriff's office. And he and, he and I actually, my first day ever at, to be, when I started at the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, I rode with Ben for two days when he was my field training officer. So anyway, um, Ben, rest in peace. So you go in, and of course you're nervous, right? For this application process, you want to get on. And you know, but hell, it's tough. And they weren't getting paid. It was no extra money back then. It was strictly volunteer. But go in on the process, and they ask you different situational type questions like, you know, whatever, whatever would would you do in this one? Would you do in this situation? I remember Ben asking me. He said, "You go into the Waffle House, which I never did, y'all. I think I ate the Waffle House twice as a cop. Uh, Waffle House and cops are almost like cops and donuts." But he said, "You go into the Waffle House, and some guy gets up and he takes a, a girl as hostage, standing about four booths away from you, and he puts a gun to her head." He said, "What would you do?" And I'm like, shit, I'd shoot him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he said he's going to do it. You don't, you don't really have a choice, like, to wait for negotiators to come and stuff like that. What would you do? I said, well, I have to, I'd have to shoot him. And he said, and let me tell you something, Ben was tough. And, but it, we, we became better friends as time went on. At the time, though, I didn't, you know, hang out with him or anything like that. I just knew him as he was a hell of a good cop, and he, but he was a hard ass. And most most firearms instructors and trainers really are like that but he, he's he's hard about business but more than fair and an, and an awesome friend but he said and i said I'd, I'd shoot him and he said you think you can make that shot i said shit i know i can yeah and he was like that's all i needed to hear and i think alden thomas he asked me how to spell patience and i got it correctly <laughs> but anyway long story short i got accepted to the team now when you get accepted to the team they you do they train extensively you know, on their days off. I'm not gonna tell you how many teams and all that, but I don't really want to give anyway anything. But I'm sure it's nothing you couldn't look up online. It's a lot of training, y'all, and I'm talking about some, some severe shit. Now Willie Sheriff Graves was always, or actually it was Jason R. was was the fourth thinker, and he was looking and going and visiting other SWAT teams around the country, the biggest in the country and the best in the country, and you know, he brought back all the different ideas, and one of them was the um, obstacle course or the confidence course, and they built that thing at the range. Let me tell you something. It's tough, but that's part of the physical fitness. You have to climb this big, tall wall and then run and do these over and under things and then rope thing and then the attic crawl and all this stuff. Anyway, it's a long, long long-ass course, and it comes around, but it's made to do. By the time you get to the end of it, you run to the range, and then you have to shoot. And, and you know shoot well and but the, the, what it does is it simulates what it's uh, tries to simulate what your heart rate will be like when you're in a in a shootout situation and and uh but willie always bought us the best stuff we had the best equipment but i'll tell you my very first swat call out after training i'll never forget it we were going to serve two narcotic warrants at the same time in an area where we're hitting two houses we had two different teams going to hit two different houses at the same time because they were believed to be related and the dope was going to be in firearms going to be in one or the other and they didn't want one of them calling the other one or somebody's you know sending word hey y'all destroy your shit the men in black are coming right so but i'll never forget it 
and all the training we had done and everything else, and you have a certain position, a certain thing that you're responsible for, each person does when they get out on these, uh, these this would have been a no-knock warrant. I will never forget leaving a rally point, which is where you set up ahead of time, get all the information on the target and what you're about to hit, et cetera, or who the bad guys might be or any intelligence they might have about weapons or doorways or you know entryways and exits from the home and who's going to be on perimeter and who's going to hit the door, et cetera, et cetera. I would never, ever forget loading up. They just had a van back then. Now they got trucks and specialized trucks and everything else. I'll never forget loading up, mounting, got all this gear on, the bulletproof vest with the rifle plates in it and, and all your all your ammunition and you got your your long barrel gun, uh, which is, I carry the shotgun. And just, you got your Kevlar helmet on and you know, shut it, you know everything, knee pads and elbow pads, you got all this stuff on and you're rolling out and look the whole time. The whole time I was suiting up, I'm thinking I'm going to go play a football game, right? I mean, it's that, you do that juice, but you climb on that truck, or actually we climbed in the van because we had two different vehicles. This one, I climbed that van. I will never forget it. And it wasn't 10 minutes from where we rallied at and got dressed at. My heart was about to beat out my fucking chest. And, and I was sweating but it was nervous, you know, it was uh, nerves, if you will, nervousness. And the, yeah, but you, in times of high stress, when, when you're in that situation, you always revert back to your training, right? And so that's what they call, you know, like muscle memory. That's why cops or SWAT guys and army guys, they shoot so much. They practice with their firearms so much. And you, you practice whether you're shooting, you shoot, right-handed like if your left hand's wounded and then you, know, you pretend like that and then you'll shoot with your left hand training i'm talking about shoot with your left hand pretend like your right hand's wounded because you don't ever know you might get in they try to cover every scenario you know we train from shooting underneath cars and and stuff like that it just you, uh, but the reason you do that is when shit does hit the fan then you revert back to your muscle memory. You revert back to your training. That's a fact. They've proven. It's scientifically proven. So, but I'll never forget all the training that I had. Now I'm ex-military and everything, and I've been in some, you know, hairy ball situations, right? That, that people would hate to never go into, but it didn't matter at first time. I'm in that van and I, my stomach is flipping knots and I'm sweating, but I'm juice. I'm jacked up and we're going to get the juice. And, and of course, we did it and that was it, everything worked out fine. But these guys, I think it was Terry Lawson, they got killed. Baton Rouge officer got killed serving a, a high risk warrant and, and stuff they do every day was narcotics and shit. And they got shot to death, right? And then they, so I, at some point on, on the SRT, it's not like it took them more serious, but they started using it more and more. Like for every uh, felony warrant where I just used to roll out in the blue and white and try to get a guy up, let's say John T. Wilkerson and I, or, or John Laudermilt, and I uh, I say, hey, John, I got, he was my supervisor at the time, I'm like, hey, man, I got a felony warrant Kearney gave me, and, and he's like, oh, I'll come over later on when it slows down and we'll go get him, right? Uh-uh. That after officers started getting killed more regularly in the line of duty, 
they started using SRT for everything, okay? And, and the problem with that was, I mean, for everything from a warrant to call-outs with hostages to, to narcotic search for warrants. I say warrants, I mean warrants for people's bodies, a, a felony warrant like Joe Blow pulled a pistol on so-and-so and made them shit their pants and and he goes in and files charges, right? Well, then you, it, somebody gets assigned that warrant, you got to go arrest them. They, at, they got to the point where they're like, fuck that, we use the men in black to do all the, the high-risk stuff. You know why? Because they are the trained professionals. If the sugar turns to shit, they got to know what to do. But why am I telling you all this? I know that it was before I went into detectives, this little story I'm about to tell you, because when I went into detectives, I was still on uh, SRT. And the problem with that was that the if I was working the day shift in detectives and I was on SRT and I got called out, we got called out a lot, I may be out for an hour, I may be out nine hours, but guess what? I still had to be back in the detective's office the next morning and, and to work my regular caseload. You didn't get time off. We didn't get paid back then. It was it was uh, volunteer. Now I think they get something or whatever. But the I mean, but it, it was a I'm gonna say prestige thing. It was you had to be a badass to make it, and those guys are badasses and they know what they're doing, right? But, uh, but it was the the camaraderie, the the teamwork, and the shit, the excitement. Like the Ernest Hemingway says, certainly there's no hunting like the hunting of armed men, and men who've done that long enough, done that and, uh, and grew to care about it, soon cared for a little else, something like that, right? So, and that's true. It was always the adrenaline rush. But I can tell you, when I got into Texas, I had I had to make a decision in my career as to which one I want today, and I went with the Texas. Uh, um, and I remember calling Jason up and going to meet with him, like. Hey, I got to give it up. Yeah, and he got it. He understood. I mean, Jason worked all the different positions, and so. But I mean, you know, if you live in Livingston Parish, you have the finest SRT team, one of the ones probably in the nation. And then I know uh, during my time I was there, they even com they even competed on ESPN SWAT team competitions. They they would do competitions that weren't televised and win all kinds of awards. Right, that that was a big deal for Willie was or the sheriff was. But um, the SRT team to go compete. So anyway, that that being said, I was on the SRT, and we had pagers, y'all, and get a page on a call out, uh, meet at the location. I'm not gonna say where. Meet at the location we normally met at for a briefing. Well, I was I had a blue and white, and my whole trunk was full of SWAT gear, SWAT bag, all the stuff I told you about, the helmets and knee pads and um, ballistic plates and whatever. I mean, every everything you could think of, your firearms and extra, whatever, it doesn't matter. So all your tactical gear and then your uniforms. The, the, um, the, our uniforms weren't actually black. They were like my favorite color, dark, 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 navy blue, almost black. And so you, you carry, I carried that stuff in my trunk no matter where I went. And that's caused some problems over the years when dumbasses you know, fucking prisons are full of dummies. They, they decide they want to break into cop cars. Well, if they happen to break into the cop cars or a cop car where the, the uniform officer was actually on, on SWAT, they, I know several cases this happened. They get all kinds of shit they, sh they shouldn't, bad guys shouldn't have their hands on, right? 
So anyway, I, but I did it. I carried mine in the trunk. I'm not gonna lie to you. And because shit, we got called out all the time. I never knew where I was gonna be. And um, so I get the call out page to 19, which is go to such such location, and for a briefing. So we get there, <laughs> and I'll never forget y'all. They had some detectives from the Tangipo Parish Sheriff's Office, and that's the parish to the due east of Livingston. And it's also the longest parish in the state, running north to south. But they had some detectives in there, and then, you know, the team's getting there, and they're going to to the briefing. Uh, and detectives get up and say, hey, look, this is what we got. We got a felony warrant or felony warrants, like times a gazillion on this dude. And it was everything, y'all, I think from rape to armed robbery, I mean, everything but but murder. But it was a lot of bad shit. And so they read the warrants, and they were like, here's our problem. Every time we go after him, he's at the end of this dead-end raid, and he knows we're coming, and he runs. Well, I mean, that shit happens, right? You can figure it out. But if you're in the Tangeville Parish Sheriff's Office at the time, I know they didn't have the SWAT or SRT at all. They didn't have a polygraphist. They didn't, I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of anything, really, and really rural. But... A lot of the uh, surrounding rural parishes would get us to do their SWAT call-outs for them. Uh, St. Helena was the same way and stuff like that. And we'd go assist on other things, like after Katrina and Rita and the sheriff was sending our SWAT team to, or SRT team to go help other parishes. But over in New Orleans, too, that, they were the first, Livingston Parish's SRT team was the first SRT team with boots on the ground after the levees broke other than NOPD before state police even made it. But anyway, back to it. The detectives like this dude is a turd that won't flush. He's just he's a shit stain on society and we've been dealing with our whole career. Okay, yeah, frequent flyer, right? I get that. Then he proceeds to say he's also got every fucking disease known to man. I'm like, what? And he said he's got is, I don't know which is worse, HIVs or AIDS. Would, but he, it was a, a, the infectious part. The, I guess it's AIDS, right? He was HIV positive, but he had full blown AIDS, and and um, he had like hepatitis and all this communicable shit. And I'm like, okay, I get you telling us that. I'm, you know, good information. Thank you. But then they said the real kicker. They said, but he's a spitter. The few times we ever get our hands on him, he tries to spit in your eyes to make you infected with all that bullshit he's got going on inside of his body, right? Some shit, they, he probably had fucking COVID before COVID was invented, is what they were saying. And uh, I mean, just a nasty motherfucker. And, but hey, he's a real good, what I call a good bad guy. This motherfucker is, he needed to get off the street and we were the people to do it, and they knew they couldn't do it. They tried so many times, and he was out on parole or bond or something. I don't remember, but he had committed all these different new offenses, and they knew it was going to run. Now, let me tell you where it was at. What, what, what happens is when you get base information like that, somebody is going to go scout or do a reconnaissance of the location the best way that they can. So somebody would have rode with the Tangipo deputies probably before this meeting, and laid eyeballs on the location, and they would strategically figured out what's the best way to attack this motherfucker. 
in so this guy lived way 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 up north in in the Paris. I, I think it was um right around the Arcola exit which is probably the third to the last exit before you get in the state of Mississippi so he lived he lived right off the interstate through the woods he his had a trailer and but you you had to get off the interstate to exit and go way up this other road and come down this other side road and shit to get to his long gravel his I can't call it gravel and couldn't afford gravel this long dirt driveway and where the, the way they were explaining was but, but he could see he always was outside he's a shade tree mechanic always outside working on cars and shit and smoking crack and stuff like that but he could see when somebody turned from like a half mile away and shit he was just you know run off but he would run generally in the direction or he'd run into the woods behind the trailer the woods in between the trailer and the interstate now the interstate is running north and south 55 so his he would uh his trailer would have been set up where it was facing north or south and he would run into the woods and the woods weren't that thick but uh probably i don't know couple hundred yards maybe and and but i mean you could hear the interstate from his place but you couldn't see it but he got away every time and they were tired of fucking with him so they set up and they they give us you know the stuff on location so everybody you know kind of kicks the can on the ideas of what to do with them or how to approach this place well so what we came up with we were going to sneak in daylight hours and we were going to go in one team from the interstate and sneak in on foot with the canine and set up on the back side of the trailer uh, uh, where we could see them, you know. And then we were going to call the other team to come in from his driveway or whatever you want to call it, piece of shit, uh, rutted up thing. But once we were in position, we were going to call the other guys in, right? And if he ran into the woods, we would have him. <laughs> so make the long story short, we load up and, you know, gear up, and, and I'm going on the team that's going to get dropped off on the side. And, oh, back to the spitting thing. And, look, we didn't have no fucking face shields. And, you know, nowadays they have these things. If, if you get a bad guy that spits, you they have, like, spit bags they put over their heads so they you know um a little bit holes in it so they can spit but it can't come out well we didn't have any of that shit and the and i had something for his fucking ass and uh and and i got it when the, the spitting was discussed and i said you don't worry about that that motherfucker gonna spit we got something for him and my buddy uh vic marler where produced that but we'll get to it in a minute so we take the long ride up and through Livingston up and then hang a left on 55, go north, and we get up there. And somebody had already uh, was close by. They had driven, but not down his driveway in an unmarked vehicle. And he, they had, they had two males underneath the tree working on a car. And it was his house. And he didn't run or anything. They didn't go down the driveway. But they, so supposedly he was there. And we had his description, y'all. You get all that stuff in intelligence briefings. I knew what he looked like, had his photographs and all that stuff. So they 
we go up north and my heart's beating, it's pounding a little bit. I'm like, you know, this is good shit, right? And you actually get paid to do this. Or actually, you know, I'm a, that's not SRT pay, but, you know, making a living hunting bad guys. And I remember we pulled up on the, the wood side, on the interstate side, and they let us out and we went. And I think there was three, we had the K9 and the hand, the K9 handler and me and one other person. So there's five of us. So one person went to the far side of the trailer uh, in the woods uh, in case he ran around that side of the trailer, right? He, that person couldn't see them. And we snuck up and the K9 stayed back. And we snuck up, like literally crawling on our bellies until we got close enough to, and we, we could hear them talking and they were playing some music and kept crawling up, sneaking up. And then we were able to put eyeballs on them down in the prone position, laying on our bellies and put eyeballs on, on our guy and another guy by the car. And look, this guy always was armed. So we were expecting, you know, a possible shootout. And he was, I think he was on parole when he, he was backing up like, a lifetime, right? And and he would hit the three strike felon and everything else. So we sneak up, and it was it was hot too. I remember that it was hot, and probably noon or one o'clock, something like that. And we sneak up, we get eyeballs on, and they were like, "All right, motherfuckers, let's dance." So we uh, whispered into the mic, said, "Okay, y'all roll, roll, roll." And so we were watching, and we we're you know probably. 30 yards from the two guys and we're, um, we could hear the cars coming down the thing and the, and the dude looked up and he said, what the fuck? And then he said, man, fuck. And then look, he didn't run. He turned around and literally nonchalantly walked into the woods right to us. And then we, well, both of them did. And I guess, the other, I, mean, I think the other guy ended up having more too, but they were walking in the woods right to us. And look at that last second. I mean, he, he probably gotten away from a hundred times. At the last second, we jump up, draw down on him, get on the ground, motherfucker, get on the ground, get on the ground. You know, uh, shove your hands, get on the ground, and and give him loud verbal commands. And then the canine comes up behind us and is barking. He's on a leash. Well, guess what? The spitter is standing up, and we're standing up. I mean, the pistol's pointed at him, and shit. I, I don't know. Honestly, we didn't know he wasn't complying. He he didn't raise his hands. The other guy. Was was like, man, fuck y'all, fuck y'all, and he didn't raise his hands, and so he wasn't complying with orders. I don't know if he's got a pistol tucked in his waistband. All the other cops are pulling up, and he he could hear the car door slamming shut, and he said, "Fuck it," and he bolted, and he 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 tried to go. He didn't make it like three feet, and the K nine was let loose, and the K nine hit him like a ton of bricks, and he goes down and starts eating that ass. Well, then the the guy on my side tried to run in the uh, dove on him and, and and tackled him from the back with well, the the canine got the spitter down and the spitter was like ah yeah I give up I give up and then when he, he did that my guy's fighting and I'm I'm still screaming commands the canine comes over and and gets in our shit and and the canine handler's having to call him back because the canine's so excited right he thinks this you know the, the, okay so when the canines train, they're trained when an officer goes down, especially their handler, they can go down, they're going to protect that handler. If, you, if you're on the bad ground, if you're getting shit kicked out, however many people or whatever, or they're going to stay on top of you. So the canine was getting on top of me. 
asshole over there would try to get up again, and they're fighting him back down in the ground, and they finally get the cuffs on him, and the, the canine handler gets control of the dogs, get the cuffs on my guy, and we get up. Now all the other cops by this time have made it on the scene, and everybody's there, and you know, we're rounding them up. Get asshole off the ground, the spitter, and he immediately starts, uh, tries to start spitting, and and gently guided him into the yard to the car that they were working on, and he was spitting in. And I said, "Fuck this!" Took out the roll of duct tape. We, however, that guy did it on that commercial I played for y'all in the beginning. Stretched that bitch out. I said, you can spit, motherfucker. I said, turn his head to the side. And, and somebody put their foot on his head to pin it to the car so he couldn't spit. And I started from that side. I got on, on that side of the mouth, and I said, turn his head the other way. And they turned his head the other way, and I taped it. And then I took that tape. I fucking, just like that guy said, I don't think I mummified his ass. I'm talking about, wrapped it, wrapped it, wrapped it. Now, here's the problem. Old boy had a beard, and he hadn't shaved. And then he was kicking his head and, and fighting or whatever. And but you know what? Fuck him. Oh, also we wore gloves, right? But fuck him. I wasn't gonna get it on me. Our guys weren't gonna get it on them. And I duct taped the fuck out of him. And I did. And, and then of course the adrenaline was pumped a little bit high and stuff like that. And it, um, the the whole situation. Uh, can't say that I actually reverted back to muscle memory because we never trained with duct tape. But he was duct taped up and he could breathe through his nose and he could see through maybe slits in his eyes and we'll leave it at that. So we arrested him and the Tangipoe Parish detectives were on scene and I think he, I don't remember, One, they did have a gun. They had a gun on the hood of the car where the, the uh, where they were working on the car and the hood was up. There was a fucking pistol there. So he walked off and left it. I don't know if he figured this would be the day he'd get caught or something. Maybe the little devil inside of him say, hey, don't bring the gun or you know, maybe you don't want to die today or whatever. But he had no fucking idea that men in black were laying in wait in the woods with eyeballs on him. And he triple dog didn't have any idea that the extra weapon in the arsenal for this one was a roll of duct tape. So spit on that motherfucker. Now, he gets arrested, and because when we were asking the advisor's rights, we had to transport him to the Tangipo Parish Jail and uh, book him on the warrant. Now, mm, picture this. We go to their jail, which is an A-meet, and get him out and bring him in. And the jailer's eyes get big. And he's like, what the fuck, man? And I'm like, um, he's a spitter. And like, he's like, well, I mean, motherfucker, his whole head's duct tape. I was like, well, I mean, you don't know which way his spit's going to fly or whatever. It was the heat of the moment. He was fighting us, you know. And we didn't have to put any new charges on him like the, the 108, 14108, which is resisting because, shit, he's got enough. I mean, what's a misdemeanor charge going to do? The, to this guy or or the spitting charge I, um and fuck it if they wanted to put it on they could put it on him but we weren't going to do the paperwork on it and then have to go to court over there for it and all that we turned him into the jail uh let's just say you probably look a little mummified like that guy said on that uh, that flight attendant said right and then no big deal go home 
and I think it went 10 8 uh, on back on duty that night or something and then the next morning I get I get a page and then to call LP1 was Sheriff Willie Graves and I'm like uh oh and you know I was always getting called in it wasn't Kearney this time it was a sheriff but I, I really didn't have any idea what it was because I just didn't know but the get there, my buddy said in office too. I'm like, you got a page? He said, yep. And Willie called us and he said, look, tell me what happened yesterday up in Arcola. So we told him. And, and he said, and um, who authorized the use of duct tape uh, on this guy? And I said, Sheriff, he's a spitter. They told us in the briefing he was a spitter. You know, he's got everything in him but Jesus, uh, um, and he's done it. I mean, he spit in cops' faces before, and he's, there's charges. I mean, his his rap sheet was longer than my you-know-what, right? And, and, and you know, I told the sheriff, I said, look, he's, you know, he's their turd that won't flush. He's their shitbag, and, and he always run from them. That's why they, they called us out. Hell, they, 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 I didn't say oh, hell in front of the sheriff, you know. Heart attack. I said, they, Willie, I said, they, Sheriff, they had to call you to get permission to use us. And he said, you're right. And and I said, why? And he said, because he's a, he's a bad, bad guy. I said, and, and they couldn't catch him. I said, that's right. I said, but one of the main things is he's got all these diseases, infectious diseases. And his thing is when he does get arrested and when he was in the Department of Corrections, he loved to spit in cops' eyes to try to get them infected. And I said, that's where the duct tape came from. You know, he fought, he resisted, and, you know, that's it. And, then, and he said, get the hell out of my office. <laughs> so I never heard any more about it. So I'm sure, I don't know if the deputies at the jail filed a complaint or this dude filed, I'm sure the guy filed a complaint. I can guarantee you he did. But I can only imagine when they booked his ass in they had to rip all that tape off of him uh and pull all his facial hair out and all that and his head hair probably and you know whatever so that's getting called on the carpet y'all when you get called in for for the boss man for something that you did when you were on duty and anyway it doesn't matter uh but that thank you uh maddie when you sent me that thing the other day i was like Oh my God, I got to tell that story. I hadn't thought of it in 20 years or 25 years or how long it's been. So again, I was, I started this new horrible story tonight and I'm, I'm glad to get to tell this. And I, I messed up the microphone, obviously. Um, I'm not in the studio I'm trying to dissect this problem on this new equipment. But in a way, uh, I'm thankful that it didn't work earlier. There's two hours of lost in space somewhere, but doesn't matter. I'm thankful it didn't work because I'm glad just to get to sit down in front of the microphone and be Woody Overton again. So there you have it. And that's it. So real quick, some announcements. I think the app, y'all, should be out in beta testing phase before you get the episode this weekend. Patreon members, y'all get this episode uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not sure yet. Oh, we're going to Courtney Coco's pre-trial here and on Wednesday. If something stupid goes on in court, I'll do an episode on that and, and delay this episode 
So justice for Courtney Coco. Uh, Miss Barbara Blunt, please continue to call on your tips. This damn COVID is, I mean, Louisiana's leading the nation in it again. It's shutting everything down. It's screwing us again, but we're not going to stop. And justice for Barbara Blunt, and somebody out there knows something, y'all, or they, they know the they know the information that we need to be able to do something with this case. And then we'll leave it at that. The oh the app when when it comes out y'all check it out it's not just an app where you go to listen to real life real crime episode it's gonna have everything on it from games to the store to extra store it's it's too much to even talk about it but it'll be everything that we have now on all these different pages and websites and Instagram and all that stuff it, everything will be in one place and so we're really proud of it and we hope you enjoy it and yes it's free if you want to get some of the extra add-on stuff that's cool too but it's definitely free and you, you'll enjoy it even if you you know don't ever upgrade anything else so that and thank you again for the podcast awards I, I, it's, I'm blown away that we were in four categories, and we made the finalists for the four categories. So September 30th, we'll find out. But when y'all voted, they asked you, would you be willing to be a judge, uh, a finalist? And they, they do a random selection out of the millions of people that voted. They do a random selection of people, and uh, if they, they send them an email and they say yes, that they'll vote on the finalists, and then they go in and listen and vote or whatever. So y'all check your emails if you get that. Please uh, vote for us, and I appreciate it. Dallas, Texas, y'all, or Arlington, you know, y'all know I canceled the show that was supposed to be this upcoming weekend. You know, doubt, shit, man, I'm so tired of COVID. Uh, I'm not even going to get started on it. The uh, Memphis show still remains to be seen on how COVID's rolling. So tickets are on sale for the Crew Bash February 4th and 5th if you're VIP. Uh, February 5th is, is the regular show at the Texas Club, and they're on sale at eventbrite.com. There are not many VIP spots left, I can promise you that. And Friday, the VIP will cover the full Friday night and get you the early entry in, into the Texas Club. So, But if you want that, you got to get it. And, of course, we're going to have the hotel code. I think it's RLRC at the Capitol Hilton. That's where everybody will be staying, if you so choose. But the LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, y'all, my people, man, I'm just telling you something. Those people are doing some really special work. And if you're not an organ donor, take a moment, go to lopa.org and register. It takes like two minutes. And if you are a fan listening from Brazil, you don't have to be from Louisiana to sign up. You go to lopa.org and sign up to be an organ donor. Give the gift of life, sight, all those other great things, right? That's it. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder by You. Peace. Get ready, you're gonna do time. Real life, real crime. Real life.
Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Template.